So today we are concluding our series called Songs of Yesterday, and if this is something that you've enjoyed, um, savor this last one because it's the last one, but if it's something that you've grown tired of and you're ready to move beyond it, um, this is the last one. So everybody wins, right? Uh, we're, next week we'll be moving into our Advent season as we lead into Christmas, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, but in this series, if you've stuck with us, uh, what we have done is we have looked at some of uh, the most memorable hymns, some of the greatest hymns, some of the greatest worship songs ever written. And what we've talked about in that is if we understand the story behind the hymn, if we understand some of the theology within the hymn, it changes the way that we sing it, right? It changes the way uh, that, we, that we see the song. If we understand who John Newton was whenever he wrote Amazing Grace and, and how God's grace saved him, it changes the way that we sing it. Whenever we understand uh, that Horatio Spafford, whenever he wrote It Is Well, he wrote it in the midst of losing his children. Like when we know some of those stories behind the music, it changes the way that we sing. And if it changes the way that we sing, it changes the way that we worship. And so our hymn today is a hymn called In Christ Alone. And it was written by a guy named Stuart Townsend, but the music and the performance is mostly known by Keith and Kristen Getty, who are Irish. And you can't necessarily pick up on that whenever they sing, but whenever they do interviews, it almost sounds like they have a pint in one hand, and they're ready to have just a bare-knuckle brawl at any moment, okay? And so this song, In Christ Alone, was written around the year 2000. And so of all the songs that we've looked at, this is the one where the songwriters are actually still alive, okay? So that part is, is a little bit different. But one of their desires, okay, as, as modern hymn writers, as songwriters, they wanted to write a song uh, that would tell the life story of Jesus. They wanted to encapsulate the gospel message into one song. And if you think about it, every, every song does this. Maybe not every song, but most songs tell a story, okay? They tell a story or they teach us something new. So for example, um, CCR, Fortunate Son, right? You know the song, right? Um, Fortunate Son is a song written during kind of about which war? Does anybody know? Vietnam War, okay? And, and what it's about is basically, um, it ain't me, right? He ain't no fortunate son. It was mostly the lower class and middle class young men who were drafted into the war, not the sons of millionaires, not the sons uh, of senators, people who are so distanced from the war. It ain't me. I ain't no fortunate son, right? Okay? So that tells a story. Or another example would be Fancy by Reba McIntyre. Uh, a woman, a young woman, a rags-to-riches story, marries a wealthy man, and she is well off. What did Mama say? Here's your one chance, Fancy. Don't let me down. Right? So... In Christ alone, like there, there's all these songs, like if you want to memorize something, songs and music have a way of, of just sticking in our minds for uh, 30 years, 60 years, we can remember some of those phrases. And how many of you, whenever you're trying to alphabetize something, you sing the ABCs in your head? You ever do that? Yep, all the time, okay? If you're trying to find a certain book of the Bible, you'll go back to that song that you memorized on the books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Like, music has a way of just bringing those things back. And so if there's something that you want to learn, something that you want to, to memorize and, and sow into your heart, uh, put it to a song. And In Christ Alone sought to do that. In Christ Alone uh, seeks to do that. It is considered a creedal song, 
uh, which basically uh, a creed is sort of a, a set state of beliefs, okay? The early church developed the Apostles' Creed that, that churches all over the world will recite. Some of them do it weekly, some of them do it every so often. Um, but most, because the early church was mostly illiterate, they needed a core set of beliefs that they could memorize, that they could say uh, to summarize what they believed about God who they believed Jesus to be, right? So in Christ alone, attempts to do that very same thing. And again, if we could take this song and we could sow it into our hearts, if we could sow it into our lives, uh, we could affirm our faith in this song, okay? We could encourage ourselves in the song, uh, but we could even be fully prepared to share the gospel with this song because if someone would ask us who Jesus is, right, we could look to this song and say, this is who Jesus, this is who he is for me, this is who he was, and this is what he has done in my life, okay? So let's, let's get into the song, and we can, we can describe a little bit uh, about all that. And so the beginning of the song starts with who Jesus is to us, okay? In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light. He is my strength. He is my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when thrivings, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. So as, as you read through that first passage, like in all of the hymns that we have looked at, it's almost, um, almost brought out a different attribute of who, of who Jesus is, that, that he is our solid rock, that he's our foundation, that he is our light, that he is our strength, that he is, uh, that he keeps us firm in the storm, that he is the highest love, that he is the deepest sense of peace. He calms fears, he comforts. All of these things are achieved in Christ alone. Like we might can find other things in our lives that can deliver in different areas, but nothing can do uh, what the power of Jesus can do. In Christ alone, he is all of these things. Okay? And so the second verse moves into the life of Christ, okay? The full scope of Jesus' life and death. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. Now, that's not, guys, that's not a, whoa, she's a babe. Okay, we're talking about a baby here, right? Okay, so fullness of God in the form of a baby. This gift of love, right, given us to us in Christmas, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. So quickly the song moves from his birth into those who persecuted him. Persecution from the Jews, persecution from the Romans, uh, those who were once his disciples who turned their back on him. Okay, Scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. We'll come back to that in a minute. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. So we have the, the death on the cross, birth to death, right, throughout his life. Verse 3, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. So we have the resurrection of Christ. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. So now the song is moving from what Jesus has done to what he is doing in me, what all of this means for me and for you. Since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious, the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, 
no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. He has my beginning and my end in mind. He has it all mapped out. He is in control of my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. So what this song tells us is that this is who Jesus is, and this is who I am in him. And if we could reflect on this daily, like how, how much would this shape who we are? How much would this affirm us? How much would this encourage us? And, and one of the most interesting points about this song is that it has a little bit of controversy attached to it. Like, not a lot. As much controversy as a hymn could possibly have. Like, it wasn't caught um, with a joint or using PEDs or anything like that. Um, but as, as far back as recently, as 2013, um, the, the Presbyterian Church, PCUSA, not connected to us, like kind of a different branch of who we are, um, but they wanted to change a lyric in this song. Uh, they wanted to change a specific lyric, um, and they went to the hymn writers, again, because the hymn writers are still alive, and they wanted to change, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They wanted to change that last part to the love of God was magnified. Uh, because they didn't feel, uh, they didn't feel and want to communicate in any way that Jesus had to be punished. The language to them sound, uh, sounded a little too harsh. And so those church leaders requested that this be made. And so the hymn writer said, we're very honored, we're very flattered that you want to use our hymn in your hymnal. Uh, but we believe that this, uh, that this communicates the meaning quite clearly for us. And so uh, the church decided to drop this hymn from this particular hymnal because of that line. And, and what this does, um, this attempt to, to change the lyrics, it sort of touches on uh, something important, but something also uncomfortable uh, is, is our atonement, the atonement of our sin in the wrath of God. Okay, And if there's one topic... That, that is not really discussed all that much in the American church is, is the wrath of God, right? That's something we don't necessarily get excited about talking about, right? Like, I mean, as I talk about this, um, man, it just makes me want to scrap what we're doing for Advent and do an eight-week series on wrath. Are you guys in? Like, not many people are down for that, right? Um, but, but the mistake that many Christians make along the way is that when we, when we try to have conversations about Jesus, about the love of God, uh, we tend to sort of steer away from the wrath. And we treat wrath as, as God is love here, God is wrath here, that if we tick him off enough, he's just going to flip a switch. He's going to hulk out, he's going to go green, he's going to smash, he's going to send a meteor on your head and crush your head, he's going to have the earth swallow you up. Like he's just going to get angry and you've just triggered his, his wrath side. And, and the truth is, is that his wrath is a byproduct of his love. Okay, so let me explain this. Okay, first of all, God hates sin. Absolutely hates it. Can't stand it. Can't stand to be around it. And, and he doesn't hate it because it's something that we do. He hates it because of what it does to us. He hates it because of the effect that it has on us. Because your sin your disobedience does not just affect you, right? Our, our sin, our disobedience affects others, okay? Think about Adam and Eve, right? Did their sin end with them? No. Did it affect anyone else? It affected everyone else, 
right? So I imagine Adam and Eve being at the gates of heaven as people walk in, sort of greeting people, fist pounding. Hey, yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Had no clue that would happen, right? I mean, you know, this woman that God gave me, right? She's the one that brought me. Like, that's, that's what he says in the Bible. He says, God, this woman you gave me, she's the one that gave me the, gave me the fruit, right? Their, their, sin, their sin affected everyone. Like, what about King David, right? We know that story, right? He, he saw Bathsheba. He, he uh, slept with her, violated her, had her husband killed, okay, to, to sort of cover this whole thing up, right? His sin affected him, obviously. It affected this woman that, uh, that he took on as his wife. It affected the relationship that she had with her husband because he is now dead, right? And yes, God forgave him, but you don't think that that affected he and God's relationship a little bit? Right, people that served with David, right? They they now they now know that David is capable of something like that. Like personally, if I had respect for David, I'm probably not going to bring my wife around him, right? Right. I mean, so so our sin, our sin affects far more than just us. It doesn't end with us. And so, students, moms, dads, grandparents, um, when you when you pop off in anger, when you're bitter, when you're harsh with your words. It, it affects those around you. It affects your friends. It affects uh, your kids. It affects your grandkids. Uh, we are all linked together in this. Uh, that, that alcoholism, that porn addiction, uh, the little white lies that we tell, the corners that we cut, uh, the gossiping that we initiate or participate in, uh, the nagging, the complaining, like all of these things, okay, do not end with us. Right? There are people that are affected by that. Our friends are affected by that. Our families are affected by that. And if it, affects, if it affects our families, it affects society, doesn't it? Like, I mean, just look at the world that we live in, right? Don't tell me that, that sin is isolated, right? It is a huge problem, right? Our, our sin is a mold and it is a rot that slowly eats away at us, okay? And God hates it. God absolutely hates it. He hates what it does to us. And it is because of that that makes him good, right? It makes him good that he hates it. It makes him good that he wants to do something about it. Um, because if God is indifferent to our sin, if he could just leave us be, then he wouldn't be good, would he? Like his love wouldn't be worth much. Um, God's wrath in his righteous response uh, to the outrage of sin, um, it wouldn't be good news. It wouldn't be good news if he was indifferent to the genocidal dictator. Right? His love would not be good news if he was indifferent to uh, the pimps of child prostitution. Right? His, his love uh, would, would not feel like love if while, other, while people around us, people the weak and, and the, uh, the uh, uh, less fortunate are being abused among us. Like, his love wouldn't be worth much if he didn't do anything about that. Right? His wrath is a byproduct of his love. Okay? So, so to bring it down from the 30,000-foot view down to, to the base level, um, Stacey and I have three kids, love our kids. Um, we are pleased with them differently on different days. Is that fair? Is that fair to say? Okay, that's how that works. Um, but, but we love our kids. If, if anyone were to try to intentionally uh, harm them, bring them pain, I don't care if they are 6'5", 320, they are getting every ounce of this 5'9", 165 wiry frame. Like, I will give them as much wrath as I can muster. 
right? I mean, I can, do, I can do prison ministry from the inside. God's got a calling on my life. We'll be fine. Like, and the thing about, about small guys is that we don't play fair, right? We'll, we'll find any advantage. We'll go for the throat. We'll go for the eyes. It doesn't matter. Now, now why do I say that? Is that because I lead my life from a place of wrath? No, not at all. Like, is it because I'm looking for a fight? No. Uh, I mean, for the most part, you, you know me, I'm pretty jovial. I, I try to be a man of peace and try to, uh, to be loving where I can be. Uh, but, but it's because I love to such a degree that that kind of wrath is possible, right? That, that I don't lead with that kind of wrath. Uh, but because I love so deeply, right, that is a part of me. That is a part of my love. And that is a part of God's love as well. Now, there's some people that lead with wrath, um, and it doesn't come from a good place. They lead with wrath because they're angry, uh, because they're selfish, because they're prideful, because they got cut off in front of Walmart. Like There's a kind of wrath that, that is birthed out of selfishness. There's some elbowing going on. I see it. Um, there, there's a pride that comes out of, out of selfishness, wrath that comes from insecurity. That's not what we're talking about, right? God, the wrath of God comes from a holy place. And it is the wrath of God that takes our sin serious all right, and to be to be fully atoned for and fully forgiven, and both of those things are possible in Christ alone. Jesus does both of those, right? And so I want to show you two passages that that speak to this, and and then we'll wrap up. In Romans chapter one verse eighteen, it says this: For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's wrath here is justified not only because of their ungodliness, but even in that ungodliness, they suppress the truth. Right? So they, they know what's true, but they completely reject what is true. They say, I do not need God in my life. I have no need for forgiveness. I have no need for anything to change who I am. Uh, I, I'm, I'm good with who I am. And so they suppress the truth, and in their suppression of the truth, there are others that also miss out on the truth, okay? So there was a, a hymn writer that we talked about last week that came to faith in Christ as a teenager because his parents were not believers. They ran a pub. They didn't want a Bible in their home. They, in their ungodliness, suppressed the truth. And, in, and when you do that, you not only deprive yourself of that, but you deprive others as well, right? So the wrath of God is stored up for such a thing, okay? And the last passage that I'll mention is Romans 5, Verse 8 and 9. Paul writes this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So it is in Christ alone, by grace alone, that we are saved from our sin. Everyone... Everyone glorifies God. We have no choice. From the little old lady who has been serving in the church for 50 years, there every Sunday, there every Wednesday, been serving the homeless, teaching a Sunday school class, from, from that lady to the, the most hardened, staunch atheist who hates his mama and kicks puppies. From that person to this person, everyone glorifies God either as an object of his grace or as an object of his wrath. And the good news is, is that we get to pick. We get to pick how we glorify God. 
Is it as an object of his grace or is it as an object of his wrath? If you're an object of his grace, your sins are forgiven on the cross, okay, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. But if everything in you rejects your need of God, your need of a Savior, your need to submit your life to him, then you will become an object of his wrath and you will pay for your own sin. But he hates what it does to you. He hates uh, the rot that it causes. He hates the mold and how it breaks away and how it tears away at your life. And he wants to set you free from it. And so that, that God has wrath against human sin that needs to be satisfied may be terribly offensive to us. Right? Our world in general does not like that notion. We, no one likes being told that they're wrong. It might be terribly offensive to us um, if there is no Savior. But for us, there is. If the love of God has made a way, then, then we only diminish his love whenever we mute his wrath, whenever we refuse to talk about his holy wrath, because his wrath comes with his love. And, and so the way that you let the love of God shine brightest is not to, not to let his righteous wrath go dark, but, but for us to pause and for us to be in awe of it, for us to pause and for us to take serious the sin in our lives, the sin uh, that, that affects not just us, but those around us, right? And, and acknowledge that in Christ alone, we have a rescue, that he is our rescuer, that, oh, that we would praise him for that, and we would lead others to that rescue. So in a moment, I'm going to pray, and, and I'm going to ask our praise team to come up, and we're going to sing in Christ alone. And, and as you sing these words, and as you reflect on who Jesus is, that, the, that he is all of these things, that we celebrate his life and that we celebrate uh, the atoning work that he did for us on the cross. Um, I want to invite you, for those of you, while we sing, uh, these altars are open if you feel the need to come and, and to pray, if you need to repent of something. Um, and, or or if, this, if this conversation has brought you to a place where you realize, I, I am not an object of his grace. I, I have missed out. Uh, I have not bended my knee. I have not confessed Jesus as my Savior. I want to give you the opportunity to do that as well. And so I'm going to be up here. If you want to come up, I can pray with you. If you want to come to the altars and, and, uh, and confess some things and sort of get right with the Lord while we sing, we can do that too. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, um, I, thank you for, uh, I thank you for this song. I thank you for what you achieve. The simple words in Christ alone sound so simple. That, that it's, about, it's about Jesus, it's about a Savior, but oh the, oh, the layers that are present, the layers that are present here, all of the things you are, that you are our joy, that you are our light, that you are the way, that you're the cornerstone, that you're all of these things, Father, and all of these things are, are possible in you. And as we, as we look back on all the songs that we've looked at, um, that everything is well in you, that we have joy in you, that you are our King, that you, that you do all of these things, uh, you, are, you are the whirlwind and that you are the storm, Father. You do all things well. And so, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that as we sing this song, uh, that we would celebrate who you are, that we would celebrate what you've done in our lives. And for those uh, who, who need to have a conversation uh, about salvation, for those who need to have uh, that talk and, and want to step into the fold, that want to step into uh, the world of your grace, that, that you would move them to do that, Father. And Lord, I pray that those who, who feel the need to get right, that they would come to these altars and that they would kneel and they would uh, realign their lives with you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.